rules. Who, anybody like the rules? Yeah, none of you like the rules. You're human. We'll talk about that in a second. Okay. But let me pray first. God, thanks so much for a chance to open your word now. And uh, thank you that your Holy Spirit has, uh, has, has received our invitation. He's been welcome in this place as we sang just a minute ago. We know you're here, God. You, you, your spirit is upon us. Uh, you're leading us in our worship of you. You're going to lead us now in our uh, opening of your word. And you're going to lead us to the things that you not just want us to hear and think about, but the things you want us to change. And so here's my prayer. If there are... Uh, uh, people in our midst who don't understand you because of the rules. I pray that they'd, they'd get past the rules to the relationship that we're meant to have with you uh, through Jesus Christ. If there are people here who are abusing the rules and uh, living in a life of legalism, I pray, God, that you'd free them from that. If there are people here uh, who are forsaking the rules and living in a life of license, I pray that you'd, you'd direct them out of that. Uh, but, Lord, help us as we go through this text uh, understand the purpose of your rules and, and how we're supposed to live uh, life according to them for, for our lives to be full. Uh, lead us now to this. Get me out of the way. Speak me in, in my place, Lord, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open it with me to Luke chapter 6. We're in verses uh, 1 through 11 today. We're going to get there eventually. Uh, but like I said, we're going to talk about the fact that uh, Jesus is bigger than the rules. Jesus is bigger than the rules. I wrote that title and it's like, oh, that's going to be problematic because some people are going to think I mean that Jesus doesn't have to follow the rules. But here's what we know. If you read your Bible, did Jesus ever sin? If you, if you don't know, Jesus never sinned. In fact, it says uh, of Jesus that he who knew no sin became sin for us. He took all of our sins on himself at the cross so we could be forgiven of them, but he himself was a perfect sacrifice. He never sinned. So when I say that Jesus is, a, is, is bigger than the rules, I'm not saying that he doesn't have to follow the rules. I'm saying he's the only one who ever truly did. But what am I saying when I say that Jesus is bigger than the rules? Well, I'm saying a couple things. First of all, I'm saying that Jesus made the rules. Jesus made the rules. It, it says in John chapter 1 that the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and God, the Word was there at the beginning. So this means that Jesus, this, that's who the Word is in John 1, 1, Jesus was at the beginning at creation. We, we believe that God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one. And so anything that has been created was created by Jesus, by God the Father, by God the Son, for Jesus the Father and the Son. And everything is, is, is built that way. So he created, therefore, the rules. The design of everything that it is from the mind of God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? And because he makes the rules... He's therefore above the rules. Now, he, he lives by the rules, but he is over the rules as the maker of the rules. We all know that. Who's a parent in here? Anybody know? Okay, if you've been a parent, you know that it's your job to make the rules in the house. The kids, as they were growing up, if they're gone, or as they are growing up now, if they're still there, they are meant to correspond to the rules of your house. You make them. But guess what? You break them. I mean, who of us has said, okay, no ifs, ands, and ors, or ors, or buts, or whatever that saying is, you're going to bed at 8 o'clock. That is the rule, Right? except on this night because we're going to watch the game together. Uh, and that's the exception to the rule. But that's the only exception to the rule except for this night because, you know, we have this other thing. Are you with me? We make them. We change them. There are rules. Uh, that might bring into your mind, does God change his rules? No. But did Jesus come to make sure that we understood his rules? Answer to that one? Yeah. Because guess what humans have been doing with the rules since God started making them? Well, we've been breaking them pretty good. Three chapters in, two people on the earth 
one rule to follow. We did it. We broke that rule, right? That's how sin entered into the world. We broke the one rule, and off we went. And here we are, generations since. Uh, we're still spiritually wired, uh, unfortunately, by our old nature, the sin nature in us, to break the rules. We're, we're rule breakers. But not only are we rule breakers, we are rule manipulators. We love taking the rules and making them work for us. If you don't believe me, go play Monopoly at another person's house. Okay? Uh, Monopoly, for those of you who don't understand, you know, anything past 2010, uh, was a board game. Now, before we had video screens, we actually rolled dice and stuff like that. And so you'd go over to someone's house and you'd start playing Monopoly, and all of a sudden you'd find out that the way you've been playing play Monopoly your whole life is not apparently the way you play Monopoly. Because here in this house, you know, it, it seems like whoever's the banker seems to win every time because they've kind of slanted the rules in their favor. Are you with me? Ever played that person? So in those, in those cases, what did you go for? I don't know what you went for. I went for the lid on the box. Because on, on the lid on the box on that game, what was, what was there? On the inside of that lid? Now, the smart people who had changed the rules had lost that lid a long time ago. <laughs> but if you're the person who's going to kind of, you know, fake the rules of Monopoly and keep the lid around, you're in trouble because someone's going to find the lid and be like, no, this is what Mattel said. This is how you play this game. We love manipulating the rules. Why do, we, why do we manipulate the rules? We want to make them not as stringent. We call that license, all right? We want to take the rules and just say, you know, that's not what he really meant. I mean, you could totally sleep with someone who's not your wife. I mean, come on, everybody's doing it. God obviously got that one wrong. What he really meant was make sure you're sexually compatible before you get married. That's, that's what he said when, keep, when he said keep the marriage bed pure in Hebrews 13, 4. That's what he meant. Only sleep with the people that you're going to marry. <laughs> All right. We do that with other things too, though, right? And, and that's what's called license. We'll take the rules and we'll make them work for us by not doing them, redefining them. Now, some people, on the flip side of that, they take the rules and they make them way harder to follow than God ever intended. I grew up going to that church. That's called legalism. Uh, here, here's, the Bible says, be holy as God is holy. So, so here's what holy means. You cut your hair this long, you can't touch your collar, because obviously if your hair touches your collar, you're going to hell, obviously. Right? And you don't play with face cards, because we, we know that all the face cards are evil and Satan's in every one of them. That's what I was told growing up. I don't, I don't believe that anymore. But that's what I was told, so we didn't do that. We didn't smoke, drink, dance, or go out with the girls who did, all right? That, those were the rules. Now, some of those are good rules. <laughs> but not all of them are. Like, does the Bible say, uh, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit? That's Ephesians 5.18. That's a rule. Can you be drunk? No. Can you be close to drunk? No. Because that's what the licensed people say. Well, I was a drunk. I was just kind of tipsy. <laughs> what? That's convenient for you, isn't it? But does the Bible say don't ever drink? No. Is it fine if you don't? Absolutely. Is it illegal if you do? Okay, I'm, I'm never going to get through this. Here we go. <clears throat> what we're going to find today 
is that Jesus come, he's come for lots of different reasons. He came uh, to preach good news to the poor, to set the captive free, right, to bring sight to the blind. Remember he read that scroll in Isaiah, okay? But he came, listen, principally, uh, he came to make sure that everybody understood how this God and us thing is meant to work. Because we'd gotten off the ranch on that. Some people into license, in the, in the world that he came to, a lot of people into legalism. They wrote a bunch of rules that weren't even, he never intended them. And, and, and both sides had lost God in the mix. Last week we saw, uh, that, you know, Jesus continues his, his ministry years. He's, he's turning everything on its ear. He's healing the, you know, he's doing everything he said he was going to do. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's teaching with authority. Remember, we, we talked about it a bunch of times. He, he, just, he taught in ways that people had never heard. Why? Because it was revolutionary. He was telling them things that, the, you know, we never knew it was meant to be this way. Remember what he said in the, in the Sermon on the Mount? You have heard it said, but I say to you. He, he, he came to clarify the rules, and he's been doing that. He came, he came to basically change the standards, too. The religion of the day had said, don't hang out with undesirables. But the first people he called to be his followers were fishermen, not the sharpest tools in the shed. But here they come, the salt life guys, and they're going to follow Jesus. Well, who's the next guy that he calls? Levi makes great jeans. But he's, he's, he's just a, a tax collector. He's hanging out at the city gates. And he's just minding his own business. And, 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 and Jesus, it tells us last week we were reading this, he, gets, he locks eyes with Levi and he just says these words to him, follow me. And Levi drops everything, quits his job, leaves his family, leaves his home, and starts walking around Israel with this carpenter from Nazareth. Now, Levi was the least likely to be chosen a follower of God's anybody. I mean, he, he just, he, he was not, you know, you put out all the choices in Israel of who would be the, you know, Messiah's right-hand guy, wouldn't have been a tax collector. But there he is. And he throws a party for Jesus, remember that? Throws a party for Jesus, invites all of his buddies over. It's his goodbye party. It's his celebration of what Jesus has done for me party. And it's his chance for all of his just off-the-rails friends to meet Jesus too. And I thought it'd be great for us to start this week reading from Levi's own hand. Levi becomes Matthew. Matthew means gift of God. And Levi, uh, Matthew, writes one of the Gospels in your Bibles, the first one, Matthew. He named it after himself. And, uh, and, and he tells his own story. How cool is this? This is autobiographical. And in Matthew chapter 9, this is what Levi, Matthew, says. Jesus reclined at my table. In my house. You could have wrote it that way, right? I, I invited all my tax collector friends and their sinner friends, and, and they all came and they were reclining with Jesus and, and his other disciples and me in my house. You guys remember that from last week? The Pharisees saw him, and they said to these disciples who were with Jesus, hey, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why? Because the Pharisees had made this rule based on Leviticus 10.10 loosely uh, that says basically if they're bad, don't hang out with them. Stay away from anybody who's not as good as you, according to your standards. And so Israel was, uh, was a lot of times, unfortunately, what churches come to be known for. They're, they're, they're known for who they keep out rather than who they welcome in. Been to that church? Here's who we keep out. Couldn't understand why Jesus was hanging out with Levi. 
let alone making him a, you know, a close in. And Jesus overheard the conversation, and he says to him, hey, you guys, you don't get it. <laughs> let me explain the rules. You think the rules are to stay away from people who are sick and undesirable. Uh, God, the Father, is not about that. God the Son, that's me, I'm not about that. Those who are well have no need of a physician. Everybody say, duh. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a duh statement. Yeah, if you're, if you're not sick, don't go to the hospital. You're fine. <laughs> but those who are sick, hey, guess what? They need a doctor. That's me, Jesus implies. Now, I'm here for Levi's. I'm here for fishermen. I'm here for those who know that they're sick and they need to be well. I'd be here for you if you knew that you were sick, Pharisees. And I could make you well if you would just admit what you don't see in yourself. Now, this is the part that Matthew includes that Luke doesn't. He says to the Pharisees here in, in Matthew's remembrance of the story, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. See how that's in quotes? Jesus is saying, hey, read your Bibles, Pharisees. Remember what it says in Hosea 6.6? 6? This is what it says. It says, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire that you acknowledge God. This is God speaking through Hosea to the children of Israel at the time. I desire that you acknowledge God rather than give him burnt offerings. Here's what was going on when Hosea was a prophet. Israel was like, you know, getting stars by their name all over the place and keeping the rules. They were doing all the sacrifices they were supposed to do, keeping all the feasts, remembering all the fasts. I mean, they were probably piling up stuff that God didn't even ask them to do in the name of God. They were doing these things. But how does, how does the, uh, the nation of Israel often get described in the Old Testament? Their hearts were as hard as flint. They were cold, no passion for their God. Lots of empty obedience, but nothing really going on in here. What does God say about all those making the marks with the rules? I don't want it. I would, I would much rather have mercy flow through your veins. I would much rather you love, rather you, what, what did Jesus say the greatest commandment was? To love the Lord your God. I would much rather, I would much rather have your love than your obedience. I would much rather have you love people than do a lot of things that you don't really mean for me. Let me push pause on the sermon. Let's talk about marriage. Because the Bible describes the, the church of today as the bride of Christ. Have you heard that? We're the bride of Christ. Some of you guys are like, I ain't no bride. Settle down. <laughs> it's a metaphor. We're the bride of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom. He described himself as much a couple weeks ago. When uh, the Pharisees came to him and said, well, hey, why don't your disciples fast like our disciples do and John the Baptist's disciples did? He says, why would they fast when the bridegroom is with the, the wedding attendants? Why would they fast? This is party time. Bridegroom's here, man. Smile. So Jesus is the bridegroom. We're the bride. And, and a lot of times what I'm talking about it, it can be kind of couched in the terms that we understand in marriage. I'm, I'm married 23 years to an amazing woman. Love her. Uh, I've grown in my love for her. She's trained me. Any, any husbands out there? I am a trained man. Not perfect, but I know stuff now that I didn't know then. One of the things that I had to learn from my wife was uh, that you can have all the great intentions, all the heart, all the love behind uh, a supposed idea, but if you don't follow through and act on that thing, it doesn't, it doesn't count. I used to drive by flower shops when I first got married. 
and I'd see flower shops, and I'd driven by flower shops my whole life, but I never thought of actually going in one. But then when I found out that that made my wife go, <laughs> I started going into flower shops, right? <laughs> and so remember one time I drove past a flower shop, and I said, oh, I'm going to go get her flowers. It's going to be a great night. We're just going to, you know, I'm going to give her the flowers. It'll be, it'll be awesome. And, and I fully intended to go in the flower shop. But the, 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 the median in the road where I lived in Dallas, Texas, never had a cutout. I couldn't get over to that side where the mall was or the strip, strip mall was where I could get the flowers. So I said, well, I'll just turn up at the corner. Uh, but there was a, a no U-turn sign and a police officer just conveniently parked right across from me in traffic. And so I couldn't even break the rules there. So uh, I, I just kept driving and driving, hoping for a turnaround. But it never came. And I was, so here's what I decided to do. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to tell Eleanor that I almost got her flowers. <laughs> That's what I did. Babe, you're not going to believe this. Lunchtime, I was heading back to work. Drove right to the flower shop on, you know, whatever. I totally saw it. And I was, I won't, listen, I tried so hard to get in there. Worked so hard, but I just couldn't get over there, but I was going to get you flowers. And she's so gracious. We're first married. She's like, oh, that's so sweet. Thanks for thinking of me. And I was like, check. All right. So wait a minute. Now I can get the shine for getting her flowers and not even get them for her? I'm going to tell her all every time I come home. Hey, babe, went by that flower shop again. <laughs> I mean, I don't have any still, but uh, thought of you. It's, it's a funny thing happened. She, she was less as impressed the longer I kept saying that. Three or four times in, she's like, hey, Mark, listen to me. She kind of pulled me in close. Babe, I love you. If you go by that flower shop again and you don't go in and get me flowers and you come home and tell me that you thought of me, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> she didn't really say that. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> you can't just feel things and not live a life that corresponds with those feelings. Everybody see how that relates to us and Jesus? Uh, th this is kind of an example for everybody who lives in license. And there's lots of you sitting in here. You've been around the Jesus story for a while, came to Christ as a young person. You've gone off and you've kind of created your own moral code. I'm, these are the things that I'm going to allow myself to do. I'm going to justify them however I need to do them. I'm going to still love Jesus on Sundays. I'm going to sing the songs, wave my hands, listen to Mark preach. But then when I go out, here's how I'm going to live. Look at me. If that's you, your actions aren't lining up with your words. You can have all the heart, but if you don't follow up with the actions that show the heart, doesn't count. Doesn't count. That's another sermon for another day. But the inverse is true, too. I didn't do this one, but let's just say I came home and I actually got the flowers. I mean, I got, I mean, Eleanor doesn't like roses. She likes, like, wildflowers. I, I, I've learned that now. Don't give her the roses. They don't count. So I got the wildflowers that she likes, and I lead with them. I come in the door, and there they are. And it's not just a bouquet. It's like a triple bouquet. It's like my whole face is covered by the flowers. And she is just, <laughs> you know, it's everything she wanted. The kids were crazy that day. I was thinking of her. I brought her favorite flowers. She leans in to give me a kiss, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I reach into my back pocket and I pull out my calendar. I open it up to the day and I cross it off with an X. She's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm a husband now. I know I probably need you to get your flowers about once a month. Here they are. What's for dinner? How would that go in my house? Anybody want to guess? Ladies? The flowers are coming back at me, aren't they? At a, at a high rate of speed, right? 
She doesn't want those flowers. She doesn't want the flowers that I have to give her. She doesn't want the flowers that there's nothing behind. The flowers better be followed up by a kiss and maybe some more. What's up? How you doing? Anybody with me on that? It's all right. But if I just cut, listen, and some of that, that's the problem with your marriages. You don't understand what's wrong with her. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to. Fellas, am I reading your mail? I mean, think about this for a second, fellas. If you're doing everything you're supposed to, but, you're, but, but your wife doesn't feel treasured, doesn't feel loved, doesn't feel a connection, hey, man, way, way to be dutiful. Way to hit all your marks. But relationships, relationships cannot last on empty obedience. They can't, they can't last on empty acts. There has to be a heart behind them. So it's not license. I really intended to do this for you, but I love you. It's not legalism. I do everything for you, but I don't really care. It's both. I love you. I serve you. I act on that love. That's what, that's what this marriage relationship between the bridegroom and the bride, the, the church, is meant to be. Jesus comes into this scene, and he's going to help us understand that more clearly, especially for this side of things, for those of us who are just kind of emptily, without feeling, live in this Christian faith. He wants us to understand. He'd prefer us to have a heart behind what we do. Now, real quick, uh, this is another unrelated thing. I told you, it's a scattered sermon. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> next week's Feed the Bay. Anybody know that? Feed the Bay is happening next week, yeah. Now, uh, uh, when I used to say Feed the Bay, the place went crazy because everybody enjoyed Feed the Bay. Now, I love Feed the Bay. I put it up there with Easter and all the other great Sundays of, of, of the year because Feed the Bay to me is kind of this perfect marriage of uh, we know what we're supposed to do and we go do it. Like I preach to you every week and I, pr- I preach to you the things that God's Word says and then I hope, pray, remember, that's how I close every sermon, right? I pray <laughs> that everything that we just talked about would actually land in your life. Uh, If we were all honest, that doesn't always happen, right? In fact, some of you, you're sitting here right now, you haven't heard a word I said yet. I mean, good luck, you know, this one, you know, landing in your life. Uh, Others of you, you're going to hear everything I say today, and you're going to walk out of here, and you're going to forget it before you get in your car. And it's not become a reality in your life. The reason I love Feed the Bay is because you come to church, we talk about being generous, being a servant to our community, uh, being a defender of those who can't provide for themselves. That's what we do. We feed the hungry. We, we stock the shelves of food pantries around our community so that people in our community can know the love of God as they receive from these uh, pantries food for their families. It's, a gr- it's just so practical and tangible. It's, it's know it and do it all in one hour. It's awesome. But you know what's happened in our church? We kind of, we, we, we got Disney disease. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, got several t-shirts. And, and we're just not that into it anymore. You know what happens on Feed the Bay around here at our church? Our, our, our attendance plummets by 30%. Oh, it's because everybody's out of the trucks. No. It's because a lot of you are like, oh, Feed the Bay, I already did that. I'm going to go golf. Hey, the beach is open. That's my day off. Lean in, lean in. Come on. Lean in. Are you, are you leaning in? No one's leaning in yet. Lean in. Here's the deal. If you're a follower of Christ, you don't take days off. It's a, 
it's a 100% of your time follow. And even if you've done it before, how many, how many new messages have I taught you? You're still leaning? I'm leaning. How many, new, how many new messages have I taught to you? Not many. Pretty much the same thing every week. Love God, not yourself. Do what he says, not what you want. This life is, is repet- it's lived repetitively over and over again. But it is the, the abundant life that God has given us to serve him, to honor him. So don't get tired of doing good. Feed people. Honor people. I'll see you next week. All right? All right. Let's keep going. Here we go. Let me start preaching. All right. When it comes to the rules, how does Christ want his followers to live? How does Christ want us to live? We've already started talking about it. Let's continue. And if you haven't picked this up yet, this is central to us understanding and obeying the rules. The rules are, 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 well, they're given to us for a specific purpose. And, and, and the specific purpose, purpose is for us to live by them so that God can protect us and provide for us and point us to him. The rules are ours. Let me say that again. It's really important that you understand this. God makes rules to protect us, to provide for us, and to point us to him. And when the rules start doing something other than that, well, then we've got to start reevaluating them. That's what was happening in the day that, that, that Jesus landed on the earth. And, and so he, he needed to teach, especially the Pharisees, the religious leaders, you've got to choose mercy over ritual when it comes to the rules. You've got to choose mercy uh, over ritual when it comes to, to understanding my purpose for the standards that I give to you. Let's see what he means here. In verse 1 of chapter 6, it says this, On a Sabbath... While he was going through the grain fields, his disciples uh, plucked and ate some heads of grain. And they started rubbing together in their hands. Why, why would, why, if, if you were picking up, you know, grains of wheat, why would you rub them in your hands? Anybody know? Warm them up? No, you got to get the husk off. The grain part is inside this, this husk. It's like corn. If you grabbed a, an ear of corn, you couldn't really start eating the ear of corn until you peeled down the husk. Well, same thing with the grain. So, so this is what these guys are doing. And the Pharisees come up to them. And some of the Pharisees said to these disciples, hey, 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 whoa, 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 why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Translation, why are you breaking the law, the rules? You're breaking the rules. <laughs> okay, so that begs the question, are they breaking the rules? Like, are they stealing? They're just walking through somebody's grain field. Are they just ripping somebody off? And that's what the Pharisees are all fussed out about? No, let's check it out. In Deuteronomy chapter 3, guess what? If you lived in Israel at the time, you can eat whatever you could fit in your face from anybody's field. Like if you went into some, look, if you go into your neighbor's vineyard, this is Deuteronomy 23, you may eat your fill of their grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put them in your bag. So, so their point is, look, whatever you can fit your face or feed your face with, eat the grapes, but just don't start harvesting the guy's crop and selling it for yourself, okay? Don't bring in a crew and wipe them out. Just eat your grapes and go home. Same thing with the grain field, Okay? If you go into your neighbor's uh, standing grain, uh, grain ready for harvest, you may pluck ears with your hands, uh, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. You can't go in there and harvest their crop. Just take what you need and go on. This was the system, you know, from the very, this is Deuteronomy, from the very beginning, the establishment of Israel outside of Egypt. This was the system so that everybody would have enough to eat. Listen, always leave some of your grain unharvested. Always leave some of your grapes on the vine so that as people have need, they can come by and feed themselves. Are you with me? So did the disciples mess up on that? No, totally within the rules, totally. So what was the, what was the problem? Well, they said, why have you broken the laws of the Sabbath? 
Let's figure out the Sabbath together. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. This is the Ten Commandments. God says through Moses to Israel, remember the Sabbath day. Keep that day holy. All right, verse 9. Six days you shall labor and then do all your work. All right, how many days did it take to create the earth? Six days. On the seventh day, God, he rested. He took a Sabbath. That's what Shabbat means, rest. All right, so take a Sabbath. So he says on the seventh day, you shall have a Sabbath, a Sabbath that is dedicated to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your so. Or, listen, if someone comes to visit you, that's what a sojourner is, a visitor, and they're staying in your house, don't let them work either. Everybody takes a break on, on Saturday, which was the Sabbath, and, and everybody dedicates that day to God. Now, what did I just tell you a little bit ago? God makes rules that protect and provide for and point people to him. They protect people, they provide for people, and they point people to him. That's what the Sabbath is for. Can you imagine if we never took a break? Anybody feel like you're in that pattern right now? Like you're so grateful to be at church just because you're not doing all the other stuff in your life. You need to slow it down. It's called balance. Look it up. But, but, but God said, we're going to build balance into your lives. All of humanity needs to take a break. Work six days, breathe. Rest on the seventh. Protect, provide. And then what is the Sabbath day meant to do? Point people to him. Keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day? Keep it holy. Remember God. Re- reflect on God. That's what you're doing here this morning. Way to go. You're taking this Sabbath day, this day of rest, and you're using a portion of it to reflect on God, as you were meant to do. Now, would it surprise you, though, <laughs> that this law, this rule, one of the ten, had been built upon and then built upon and then built upon by the subsequent interpreters of it to where the Pharisees now had 39 categories of work that could not be done on the Sabbath. They had basically gone into the infinitesimal levels of the small print. It's like the tax code today. Has anybody seen that book? It's a thick one, right? They had, they had tried to anticipate any loopholes so that absolutely no work can be done. You know what one of their categories was? You can't harvest on the Sabbath. What have these disciples done in their eyes by plucking these grains? That's harvesting. Guess what? You can't winnow or thresh on the, on the Sabbath. That when they rub their hands together, that's, that's winnowing, that's threshing, you're working. And guess what else you can't do on the Sabbath? You can't prepare a meal on the Sabbath. If you're going to eat on the Sabbath, which is fine, you can eat on the Sabbath. But you better prepare it the day before. And so when these guys had done all this and prepared a meal for themselves, three times they had, they had broken the Sabbath laws according to who? The Pharisees. So Jesus is going to come in and help them understand that's, that, that's not how it is. And this is how he does it. He answered them. He answered their, their complaint with a question. Jesus does this all the time. Here's this question. It starts out like this. Have you not read? All right. I hope you see the little nuances in Scripture because they're hilarious. Do you know what Jesus just said to the most learned group in Israel? Well, apparently you guys haven't read the Bible. If you had read the Bible, you would know. This is how he starts. You think he's just going, <laughs> a little bit, right? Because he's coming after him. Have you not read? What's he, what's he going to say? Have you not read 1 Samuel chapter 21? That's what he's asking them if they've read. This is where that story is. They had. They had it memorized. If they were Pharisees, they'd memorized Torah, they'd memorized the prophets, and they'd memorized the history books. This is what Samuel is. Okay? So they'd read it. But Jesus is going to fill them in on the story that they were fully aware of. He says, remember in 1 Samuel 21, 
David, when he was uh, hungry, uh, he and those who were with him, his mighty men, these, this, this band of, of protectors of, of David, uh, they entered the house of God. They, they came into the temple. And there in the temple, they were searching for food. Now, if you go back in the context of 1 Samuel, you know that uh, Saul is the king, David is the anointed king, but not yet appointed king, all right? And Saul's trying to kill him so that he can't take his throne. It's illegal to help David in all of Israel. David's got nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. He's got nowhere to get food. Anywhere he goes, he could be turned in and Saul would kill him. So he runs to the house of the Lord. He goes to a, a priest there. And the, the high priest on, on duty at the time is a guy named Ahimelech. And he says, you got any food? And he's like, no, we don't have any food. The only food we have is, is, uh, is this bread of the presence. David goes into the house of God and he took and he ate, with permission from the priest, the bread of the presence. What's the bread of the presence? Every Friday, which is the day before the Sabbath, uh, priests were given duties to prepare for the sacrifices that would be given on the Sabbath day. One priest's job was to take, uh, uh, you know, leaven or unleavened bread uh, and, and make it, 12 loaves of it. So there would be two stacks in the, in the, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, on, on the table that was designed for this bread and this bread alone. And the two stacks would be placed there uh, the night before the Sabbath and then, and then left there for the entire week. Uh, there was 12 loaves. Why? What was, there, what was the significance of 12 in the Old Testament? The tribes, the tribes of Israel. Okay, so these 12 loaves represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and why were they in the temple? Because God instructed them to place these loaves in there as a sign of his communal relationship with Israel. If, if you break bread with someone, right, what are you really saying? Well, we're going to share a meal, but it's not like we're going to go to this restaurant, not talk to each other, eat our food, and leave. We eat our food together as an excuse for us to be together and hang out and build our relationship, right? So when you say that we're going to break bread together, you're really saying we're going to build our relationship. Well, God wanted to represent that in this bread as a sign that he was in relationship with Israel. Okay, so we understand the show bread? So it's this bread that sits there. Who's, who's, who's the only ones allowed to eat it? The priest, it's the end of the, at that week's cycle before the next Sabbath. The priest would come in, and as part of their meals on that next Friday, they would eat last week's show bread. They would eat the bread of the presence. Because someone had to eat it. It was a sign of the communal relationship with God. Well, the priests were the representatives for all Israel. And so they ate the bread as a representative of all of Israel, the communal relationship with God. Okay. David comes in. Ahimelech says, I got nothing except the bread of the show. Well, listen, we, we, you know, maybe David said, well, we can't eat that. I mean, it's, you know, that's, and, and here's what Ahimelech says. You know what? I think just this once, uh, it's going to be okay. And this priest became a, a part of the story of the survival of David. He wasn't just kind of like, oh, I'm a little peckish. He was starving. And if he and his men hadn't been fed that day, we don't know what happens with the rest of the story. Jesus reminds them of this. I don't know if you read your Bibles, Pharisees. Remember that one time that the priest of Israel said that we're going to skip the rules for the sake of mercy in a situation? Yeah, th that's what's happening here. My disciples are hungry. In, in another rendering of, of this same story, uh, Jesus explains this to the Pharisees. He says, you know what, the Sabbath, uh, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And what you've lost sight of in all these rules is that I'm a merciful God. I'm all about providing for my people. And the rules are meant to do that, but every once in a while, if the rules get in the way, we're going to change the rules for the sake of the mercy being given to men. Let's put it this way. I'm preaching along right now. And let's say we have a rule at Bay Life that when Mark starts preaching, he's not going to stop until he's done. And we all know that's true. Okay. 
but nothing can happen to stop the preaching once it starts. Well, one of you starts having a heart attack right here. You come forward, you're staggering, everybody, you're doing all the signs, you know, Sanford and Son, I'm coming, you know, and, 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 and all of a sudden you lay down right here and you are out. And some, one of you is, is an EMT or a doctor and you say, I need to help, and I say, stop! The rule is that when I start preaching, we don't stop until I'm finished. If he's done in 15 minutes when I'm done, we'll know that that was God's will for his life. How ludicrous is that? But this is what the Pharisees had said. Rules, 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 rigidity, rigidity, rigidity. And they'd completely lost sight of the purpose for the rules, the God behind the rules, and the mercy that he desires more than the rules. See, they didn't see this. They didn't see, they didn't understand. If we're going to come to the rules, we need to understand that, that Jesus is above the rules. He, he's over all the rules. I told you that. He, he made them. Uh, what he wants from them is what matters most, not my interpretation of them. Whether it's license or legalism, it's, it's what Jesus wants. He's over all the rules. He said as much. Look what he says. He says, uh, and he said to them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Just one more dig before he's done with this story. Hey, guys, two things. When he said that, he says two things. First of all, everything that happens on the Sabbath is about me. You, you don't recognize that yet because when you look at me, all you see is a carpenter from Nazareth who's been able to do some pretty, thing, you know, pretty cool things that you can't explain. But I'm telling you, I'm the Son of God. I'm the Son of Man. The Son of God and the Son of Man. And everything that has been designed for the Sabbath has meant to terminate on me. It's all about me. But then he also says in that statement, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the boss. And I'm here to tell you what I meant when I created this rule about the Sabbath. I meant for it to be a provider for, for you, a, a, a provision for people. It's, it's not meant to be rigidly, you know, adhered to, uh, you know, and, and, and you to pile a bunch of rules on top of it. It's not meant to be that word. I do this so that you can be provided for. So general rule, do we follow the rules? Let's just kind of recap. Are we supposed to follow the rules? Yeah, absolutely. Are there times when God's okay with us stepping outside of some of the rules for the sake of people and mercy and love and grace being expressed? Yeah. Like I, I talk to people sometimes, oh, so I'm so sorry I missed church last week. Why? Well, I missed church because, you know, uh, someone needed to move from my apartment and they were moving Sunday morning. They don't go to church, but I figured it would be a great idea for me to go and help them, you know, move and, and for me to kind of be the church around them rather than me hanging. Fine. You think God's okay with that? That seems to be on mission to me. Okay, but next week you come, I'm sorry I missed church. Why? Well, I just couldn't get up. <laughs> okay, that's a little different. So we keep the rules, but mercy trumps the rule. Are you with me? Last thing I want to show you. Jesus is going to teach one more thing. He's going to show people they need to love people more than propriety, more than the rules. Love is mercy and love are the things that trump the rules. Look what he says. On another Sabbath, he entered the, the synagogue and he was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was, was withered. Now, Luke was a stickler for, for the details. He said the right hand. Did you get that? He didn't say the left hand or just a hand. He said the right hand. In, in Israel at the time, the right hand was the hand that did the work. Even if you were left-handed, it was seen. If your right hand was withered, it was the hand that did the work. And so what was, what was this guy's problem? He couldn't provide for himself or his family because he was handicapped. 
I mean, that's a big deal now, but they didn't have parking spaces for them back then. Okay, you, you were just, you were marginalized in society. You ended up begging. That's why all these guys who were lame and blind were beggars, because they couldn't provide for themselves. This guy was one of them, and he's there in the synagogue. The scribes and the Pharisees, uh, they were watching Jesus. Why? Oh, I think she's going to heal him. It's going to be awesome. Is that what they're thinking? No. They're not anticipating God's work. Why? Because they're wrapped up in their rules. God would never do anything outside of our standards for him on the Sabbath. And so if Jesus does heal him, we, there we've got proof he's not from God. Oh, jeez. Everybody see how just crazy that is? Can you see how the rules completely blind us from the God that the rules were meant to point us to if you take them too far? They were hoping that he would heal so they would have a reason that they could accuse him. Jesus uh, knew their thoughts. Everybody pause for a second. What are you thinking? Jesus sees it. Can anybody shake it out of there? Oh, whoa, get it out, get it out, get it out. Yeah, Jesus sees your thoughts, and Jesus saw the thoughts of the Pharisees. And he said to the man with a withered hand, hey, buddy, come here, stand here. And that word stand here, it's a Greek word that says stand in the middle. Synagogues were built with wall, four walls, and on the walls were all the bleachers where everybody would sit. And then the dude who sat would sit on one side, and he would teach kind of in the round. Well, Jesus was probably teaching like was his custom in the synagogue. Here comes this guy with a withered hand. Maybe he just walked in. He's sitting in the back. The Pharisees, he could tell that they're watching to see if he's going to heal him. And he says, okay, come here, pal. I need to stand right here. Because I'm going to want everybody to see this. And then he turns to these Pharisees. He turns to the Pharisees and he says to them, hey, let me ask you a question. Pharisees are like, what, huh, what? Because they were thinking, I hope he heals them. They hadn't said it out loud. They were just thinking it. But he saw what they were thinking. He said, let me ask you a question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? Huh. Well, I mean, I mean, you should probably do good things. I mean, certainly it would be better than destroying somebody, right? Harming someone. You certainly wouldn't want to do that on the Sabbath. What was his point? Well, by them saying you should do good things, uh, he, he, was, he was basically making this, this kind of uh, correlation that if we fail to do something that we know we can do, that's called a sin of omission or that we know we should do. Like, like uh, to omit doing good is to commit doing wrong. Everybody get that? And, if, and his point is if I let the rules of the Sabbath stand in the way of me and the power that I have of healing, of me doing something good for someone, how do, the, how do those rules serve the greater idea of, of God that, that he's all about mercy and love? And So he says, okay, so for me to leave this guy, wouldn't that be to do him harm? Yeah, that was his reasoning. So he says to the guy, okay, buddy, everybody watch this. He's here in the middle. Stretch out your hand. And as this guy stretches out his hand, his arm and fingers and everything, they start to blow like blow up like on the cartoons. And everything is like given form. And his fingers that were all gnarled, and they, they, they blow up like, like sausages. And, and they're just there, and they're perfect. And this guy's waving his arm for the first time in his life. Maybe it was one of those really short arms that never developed in the womb. And all of a sudden, he's got an arm. And he's hugging people with it. And the entire synagogue is like, whoo, whoo, right? Just going crazy. Because the carpenter did it again. Are they thinking about the rules of the Sabbath? 
They're celebrating the good that's been done. What are the Pharisees doing? They're furious. Standing in the midst of what is a great miracle, all they can think of is, I am I am so mad at this Jesus. Why? Rules. If you are a legalist, it's crushing your faith. You can't see God. You can't see God and his work in your life through the rules. You're drowning in them. And you got to let them go. I'll never forget, I was 25 years old before I think I fully understood grace. Because I'd grown up in these angry Baptist churches where everything was wrong. And I just felt like I was wrong. Did you grow up going to church and coming out feeling like you're wrong? Okay, just so we're clear, you are. <laughs> but, but that's the amazing thing about grace. Is that if we've received Christ, if we, have, if we are recipients of God's grace, then we're no longer tied to the rules. They, they, not that they don't apply or that they don't matter, but they don't, they don't matter to us the same way they did. We live in freedom. It was for freedom that we were set free. And we live, we do the rules because we love God. It's the most reasonable thing we can do for him, not because we have to. So now may you and I understand the rules. Are they good? Yeah. The way, way Jesus intended them, they're the best. They're going to lead to your, the greatest life you've ever had if you can live by them. Because they're always set to protect you. They're always set to provide for you. They're always set to point you to God. So live by the rules. But don't live for the rules. Big difference. Don't make the rules the things that, that, that justify you in the eyes of God in your mind. You'll, the, the rule, you, keep, you could never fully keep the rules, and the rules could never make you fully uh, atoned to God. Are you with me? I don't know if that made sense. I pray it did. Let's go home. God, thanks so much for your word. And thanks that it, it describes for us how you want us to live. I pray that we would live by your rules, not ours, that we would live in the freedom that grace has given us and not in the prison that legalism has for us. Uh, God, keep us on the other side from sliding into just license and just saying there are no rules. We, we know that there's a way you want us to live. Help us to live by uh, those rules for your glory and for our benefit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you go. I'll be over here to say hi if you want to. Blessings.